Hey everyone, and welcome to the Product Marketing Life Podcast, brought to you by the Product Marketing Alliance. My name is Mark Cassini, Product Marketing Manager at Jobber. As part of this series, we're connecting with PMMs all over the world about various product marketing topics. Today, I'm joined by Tamara Chabelle, VP of Product at Clip. Tamara has over 20 years experience defining, creating, and launching products. Her background is in web development, user experience, and visual design. While not a product marketer by trade, over the last three years, Tamara has spoken to hundreds of product marketers and competitive and market intelligence practitioners to better understand their needs and solutions. Now, if you've done any research into competitive intelligence or enablement, you've almost certainly heard of Clue. Clue, with a K, is a competitive enablement platform for the modern enterprise. Using Clue, product marketers and enablement teams leverage curated intel from inside their company and across the web to create insights delivered in real time to the field. Salespeople get access to relevant, digestible competitive insights inside the tools they use every day. Clue has over 75,000 users and has received 54 G2 badges in 2021 alone, including Best Supported Enterprise, Momentum Leader, High Performer Enterprise, Leader Enterprise, and Easiest to Do Business with Enterprise. Tamir joins me today to share insights, examples of success, and foundational tools on where and how you should start building the right competitive enablement program that fits your company's stage. When it comes to competitive enablement and competitive intel, it's not one size fits all, but it's also never too late. So what exactly should you be doing based on where you are as an organization? How do you create a snowball effect of starting with a few insightful CI tactics that will grow and scale with your organization? Tamara is about to tell us. All right, with that out of the way, let's get into it. Good morning, Tamara. Thanks so much for joining. Hey, nice to meet you, Mark. Awesome to have you. So before we get into the meat of our conversation today, can you give our listeners a better understanding of your career journey so far and, and what it is you do at Clue? Oh, boy. Uh, lengthy career journey and very convoluted. But uh, I started as an architect. My my parents wow. would still love me to actually use that degree for something. But uh, <laughs> which means my journey into tech actually started on the design side. Uh, I learned to code many, many, many years ago, got into development for a while. And uh, it was at a, a company where I started as employee number one. And we got up to 900 people. And through all of that, I sort of... Uh, was notorious for forming little startups within the, the larger org, right? And so kept coming or starting these new initiatives and forming little teams to prove out new models and things. And so kind of was always in startup land for a, a very, very long time. At some point that uh, that job became product management it was something that or a title that really didn't exist as anybody who's been in, in product management for a very long time will tell you, wasn't a role, uh, which means that about three years ago when I moved into Clue, it was just the right fit for me. So Clue was a very early stage startup, 18 people when I joined, and I came in to head up both customer success and product, uh, which was an awesome combination. It meant that I was in front of customers all the time, also guiding the product team, uh, which is a really nice synergy when you can do it in a smaller org. But uh, have since transitioned full time into the product organization, running the product team. We brought in somebody with much more customer success expertise to run our CS team, uh, but still spend a ton of time with our customers. And our customers largely being uh, competitive intelligence analysts or more uh, commonly product marketers uh, who are spending their time on compete programs. So lots of time spent uh, talking with them, understanding their problems, their journey through creating compete programs. That's incredible. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. And, and I think one of the reasons why I was so excited to have you on today was that, you know, typically we talk to product marketers. We don't often get to people who talk to other product marketers for their job. So you've got a lot of insight from the other side of the conversation, which I think our listeners will really appreciate. And I also think it's, it's fascinating as you're talking there about how, you know, when you came into the role, product management as a, as a role didn't really exist. You kind of just 
absorb the responsibilities and it became defined as you went along. And I feel like that's an experience a lot of product marketers experience over time. They get thrown into an org where product marketing might not necessarily be a thing at that given time, but slowly as the organization grows and the kind of position across different industries and across companies grows, it becomes defined. So I think you'll have some interesting insight into that experience as well, which I'm sure our listeners will appreciate. That's a good point. Yeah. Similar trajectories. It's that sort of, I wear all hats role, right? We've got all these jobs that need to get done. Who can we get to do them? Let's call them product something. Well, exactly. Let's just put the word yeah. product in front of it. People will get it if we do that. Totally. It'll sound really important and you get all the stuff nobody else wants to do. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, and it's funny you say that too, because you talked about when you started at Clue, you were kind of doing customer success and product. And that's something that you know, interacting with customers and owning that experience, a lot of, again, product marketers are often tasked at the beginning. But then as organizations mature, some of those things are to get sliced off, which is great for someone such as yourself or other product marketers, where you get to kind of choose the area that you like best and then really pursue that. But then, like you said, you let the experts in those other areas come on board and take those things over, just give you a little bit more breathing room, which I'm sure you, you appreciate it. And I know a lot of other product marketers appreciate it as well. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, that's something I know this wasn't on our list of questions to talk about, but uh, something I've seen that's really interesting with product marketing, particularly, is that, uh, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about who is the the person that should be working in our platform, right, as the curator who's creating compete materials. And it's largely been product marketers. But as we see sort of compete evolve and grow as a program, you start to see a lot of segmentation. Right. And product marketers morphing into more focus roles on competitive intelligence, for example, while others, you know, move over and their focus more on go to market or on product launches or, you know, other aspects of, of product marketing. So, yeah, we really are starting to see that sort of segmentation or specialization. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got a couple of different topics we want to talk about, but I think one of the areas that, um, you know, we really want to dive into is this sense of, you know, the maturity of your organization and how that plays into how that organization approaches competitive intelligence or competitive enablement. So what would you say, in your opinion, defines the maturity or stage of a company and when it comes to competitive intel and enablement specifically? Yeah, that's actually, it's a super interesting topic for us and one we've actually spent a lot of time on recently. So the, the Clue team, uh, not myself, but the rest of our super smart folks, uh, worked with a bunch of our customers recently and actually created a competitive enablement uh, maturity model that addresses just this question. So they actually identified five stages of maturity across a bunch of dimensions, but they include you know your objectives, resources, processes, technology, and KPIs. And most companies have sort of bits and pieces of these dimensions when they come to see us. You know, they're they're at one stage, and in one of them, they're at sort of very early stages. In others, they might be quite mature, but they aren't sort of truly into the next stage of maturity until they've kind of met all of the the criteria, which makes this maturity model like a really powerful tool, not just for sort of assessing them and benchmarking where somebody is, but helping to create sort of that prescriptive playbook of, or blueprint that helps them operationalize and move their program through these stages, uh, which is why we often talk about, you know, a competitive enablement program and not just, you know, a CI tool or a platform, right? And so our model goes from ad hoc, which is really largely where most folks start, you know, and almost everybody who comes in and, and joins us is in some form of, of ad hoc and goes all the way through sort of a, a transforming stage. Uh, but we see, you know, other than the big, large enterprise companies, most folks are really sort of at the beginning of their, their journey. And even within that, I found it interesting because from a product perspective, I talk to, you know, 
all our, our curators or our product marketers as they come in and there's, there's different stages even within that first ad hoc stage, right? Um, they start often in this like really not formalized way, right? People tend to kind of slip into to CI over time. And so I see, uh, especially product marketing, you know, there's like this little tick box item on their list that says, hey, you're in charge of competitive. And eventually people realize this within the organization and they start asking them questions. What do you know about this competitor? Where do we where do we find this information? And they find themselves in this land of I'm just going and doing a Google search and trying to find the answer to people's questions. Right. And then they answer the question and the next person comes and asks them another question because now you're the expert and you do more Google searches and you find the answers and you get them off and you're sort of, you know, firing stuff off to your sales team or to your executive. And over time, you realize this is not going to scale and this is not very efficient. And the first realization is I kind of I need to get all this information together in one place. Right. I just need to centralize it. I need somewhere to put it. I need to like have some repository I can go back to. And so we'll see some folks come in and like they're just at that stage. They're at that stage of I just know I need to know where to put this information so that it's there when I need it. And I'm just trying to enable myself. Right. And then as they mature, they realize, well, actually, I could get a little more proactive about this. You know, and when something interesting happens with my competitors, I'm going to let people know. Right. Big acquisition happens or a new product release. And I'm just going to get ahead of it and fire that information off to the rest of the team. So they kind of get into this informing stage of let's pass some information through to the team, whether it's by email or Slack or whatever, uh, which often leads into, hey, we could create some assets and get ahead of this. And battle cards or reports or sort of competitive landscape reports start to come out of that. And we'll get those in front of the team. And then you realize, oh, geez, now I've got to keep those up to date. Right, and I need to keep keep working through this information and updating it. Uh, and eventually, they grow into sort of this more strategic phase, right, where they're they're being very proactive and predictive. But we often see people in sort of those first three when they come in, and they've gone sort of bits and pieces of it. But what they're trying to figure out is how do I standardize this and put a program around this, and what does sort of best look like? Right. Yeah, I, I think that's a phenomenal insight because as you were talking there, actually, it's funny. I, very similar to an experience that I had in my in my most recent role when it came to competitive intelligence was exactly as you described it. You know, hey, you're a product marketing manager. This is your responsibility. Figure it out. And fortunately, the compete space has evolved and matured to such a such a stage where there are a variety of tools and opportunities to partner with external organizations to help product marketers with their compete program. But even just the maturity model that you were referencing that Clue developed, I think is an incredibly valuable tool just to help product managers or product marketing managers rather understand where they are in that, in that model and say, okay, well, maybe I'm just beginning, like you said, and at least I now have a path to move forward and to know where I'm at that next stage and identify, okay, I'm at this next level. What do I need to do next? And where can I focus on? What can I improve? Or they can look at that and say, okay, maybe a little bit farther than I thought I was. And maybe I don't need to worry about this stuff in the previous stage because I've actually already done all that stuff. So yeah, if anybody hasn't checked out that tool, I, I encourage um, you to go and take a look because I think there's a lot of value. And just again, like understanding where you are in that journey. Yeah. Well, Which, I think what's really powerful is that most folks actually don't realize what best looks like. Right. right? Like, like what's the best practice? What am I actually trying to achieve is actually been the hard part. And that's the question like our customer success team gets so often is like, I'm doing this. Is this good? Right. right. And then what should I be doing? Right. Like what is yeah. the next thing? Cause it's not even really often a question of, I, I haven't gotten to that or I'm not, I'm not ready for it yet. It's more a question of, I actually don't even know what it is. Yeah. Right? No, you're, like, you're where, what should I be doing? And you're hundred percent right. It's, it's, 
you know, like you said, you can get requests and you know, if you're able to deliver on those requests that you're probably doing a, a decent job, but again, is, is it good? Could it be better? You know, if you are maybe seeing an upward tick in competitive win rates, can you, you know, confidently say that the work that you just did is positively contributing to that? And if you are a product marketing manager of one, which a lot of people are um, at a lot of organizations, you don't have that benchmark. So I agree. It's an incredible tool just to, again, like understand what good looks like, um, which I think drives a lot of value for people who find themselves in that position. But on this topic of the model and kind of where you are, is is there, would you say, a, a profile for when a compete program makes sense for an org? Um, is it ever too early or too late to, to start one? Oh, I mean, I would never tell anybody it's too late to do anything, but you know, <laughs> nope, that's it. Stop, you know, stop what you're doing right now. It's too late right. for you to move on. This isn't the place to look. No, of course, it's never too late. Uh, I think it can actually be too early to operationalize something. You know, and I'm thinking sort of, you know, smaller orgs, certainly, you know, when I started at Clue, we were 18 people and we had two people on the sales team having formalized battle cards and a robust compete program and a person dedicated to it full time. Overkill. Uh, right. right. But thinking about compete never too early. Right. Um, I think that's something that if you the earlier you start creating sort of a culture of competitive, the better are you you're going to be down the line. Right. As you mm -hmm. try to sort of formalize that into a into a program. So I would say, you know, don't over optimize too early, but it's never going to be too late to start actually thinking about it and getting a program in place. Right on. And, you know, often as product marketers, we're asked to start by you know thinking strategically and then to execute the strategy across a variety of tactics. Right. We, we as product marketing managers like to think of ourselves as, you know, the very strategic minded individuals and the strategic engine that touches different parts of the org. Um, but before we get to the tactical side of things, as it relates to competitive intel and enablement, where do you think product marketers should start when it comes to launching their own compete programs? You know, do they need to develop and define a robust strategy or can they just get right into it with the tactics? In, I mean, in my opinion, at the point that you start talking about it as launching a compete program, right? Like as soon as that comes up in your vernacular or it's a concept you start talking about, you should probably put a plan together. Right. And most folks, like I said, you, you tend to slip into CI over time, right? And so those in those early days, you're not actually even thinking about launching a compete program. You're thinking about how do I get this person off my plate or off my to-do list and answer their questions so I can move on to other things, right? But when you start realizing that you're in this land of I'm still doing these informal CI activities off my desk, but I need to actually grow this into something more robust, yeah, I think there's it's definitely worth you know, not necessarily putting together a big strategic plan and you know, selling that throughout the org, but there's definitely a need to sit down and just think about what your plan actually is, because there's a real opportunity to increase the visibility of both your efforts, those things you've been doing off the side of your desk, and actually formalize the work you're doing, right? Which will ultimately save you from that slippery slope of realizing that you just can't keep up with the requests that you're getting over time. Um, and the, the biggest part, I think, of that planning that most folks seem to miss in the early days, sort of as you slide into CI accidentally, is figuring out, to your point, what success looks like, right? right. This can be any number of things. There's a lots of ways to actually measure your impact uh, against CI over time, but you have to actually think about what that's going to be. Because if you don't do it, nobody else is going to do it for you, right? And suddenly you find yourself two years from now with your boss going, what is it exactly you've done? 
Right. Yeah. You can't really go into that conversation saying, well, I answered all these questions that I get all the time every day from right? people. Right? Your, your manager probably doesn't want to see a list of, of deliverables that you've delivered on. They want to see, like you said, that what that impact is. Um, yeah. yeah in, you know, often as product marketers, we talk about, especially when you're new to an organization, what are some of the quick wins and, and easy things that you can point to and say, Hey, I did this and it's contributing these you know, towards these goals or moving the needles in the positive direction. And I think a similar approach, if I'm, you know, uh, you know, understanding what you're saying clearly is that take a similar approach with, with your CI or, or competitive enablement program. Obviously you want to have a plan in place, but don't overthink it and make it seem like you have to have this huge, you know, multi-year strategy where you're looking at all the different inputs and outputs and metrics you're going to impact. Like, no, let's just say, what do we want to accomplish with this program and how can we measure that? And try and keep that, you know, relatively lean at the beginning. And then maybe as things get more formalized and the team grows and you're starting to see more of that value have a positive impact on things, then you can look at, again, evolving that strategy and changing as things go. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. So speaking of tactics then, and just, you know, getting things done and starting, what are some of the tactical programs and tools a company can start with, even if they might not think they're ready to actually dive into competitive enablement? Yeah, great question. And the more newer CI folks or folks, you know, product marketers who are newer to CI that I talk to, the more surprised I am by some of the things that they actually haven't been doing. That, um, and maybe it's by virtue of spending three years talking to folks about CI, where it all seems really obvious to me, but, you know, uh, and it's probably not. But there's some really simple things that I think can just help set people up for later success. Mm. So first, there is often a gold mine of information sitting in your CRM. It's untapped by folks most often. So at the moment that someone asks you to actually take on CI, go find out the current state of your competitive win rate. And you alluded to this earlier, right? Like, what is it right now? So don't let anybody come in and say, here's a list of battle cards we want you to build. Right. And it's usually a list of, you know, 25 or 30, right? And there aren't 25 or 30 competitors that your sales team is actually coming up against on a daily basis. There's certainly, you know, 25 or 30 that your executive team is worried about, right? And that's a, a different concern. But if you go and, and actually dig into that CRM data and figure out which competitors the sales team is actually coming up against in a large volume of deals and what their win rate against is against each of those, you'll very quickly get a good picture of what your actual threats to pipeline are. And that tells you where you can make the biggest impact. Right. Because moving, a, you know, your win rate a couple percentage points against the competitor that's coming up in 90 percent of your deals is going to have a massive impact on your revenue at the end of the year. But if you're focused on creating battle cards for competitors that come up three or four times a year, it's not going to matter. Right. Okay. That's that's a waste of time. So let's not focus on those. So dig into that data. If you're not already collecting competitive information in your CRM, and I will say, you know, often either the fields are there, nobody's filling them out, or they haven't actually been added, that would be the point to start, right? And, and I do think um, sales teams aren't great at filling out that information because they've never seen any value from doing it, mm -hmm. right? And this, this sort of simple threats to pipeline analysis can actually be that first key to getting them to care. Right. If you can start to report on that information, then there's a reason for them to actually be filling it out. So there's you know, a great place to start looking. Uh, the second thing is, you know, something that I hear all of the time from our customers is how do I get my sales team to share intel on our competitors with me? How do I get them to tell me all of those great things? Right. And sales teams are the front line. They are the ones that are in deals with prospects against your competitors they are the ones that are going to hear what's coming up. They know the truth of what your competitors are doing. But each of them knows different pieces of information, 
right? It's not a holistic picture. And where you can actually help them is in starting to bring that information together, right? So if you can get them to share with you, you can start to be the one that kind of level sets what is our, our understanding, right? But they're not going to just come in and start sharing with you. They're busy people, just like the rest of us. So what you need to do is actually help them to understand the value you can provide. So simple things, go back to your CRM, dump all of your team's deal notes, right? If they're collecting them, if they're actually telling you why they won or the tail of the tape, right? So or information, gather all of those, start to go through and summarize them. Because again, there's little nuggets of information in every one of those. And there's no sort of holistic picture typically across the sales team. So what can you tell them from that information that starts to like level set their understanding? right? And synthesize it. And then the second thing is if you don't already have a CI channel in Slack or Teams or insert collaboration tool of choice, uh, create one, right? And take, actually take all of the findings from your CRM information, from the notes you've collaborated, share all of those in there, and then encourage your team to add the additional things they're hearing. Start to create a dialogue with them because your most important allies, as you start to build up a program, is going to be your sales team. Right. And the sooner that you can actually engage with them and create trust with them and actually create this culture of competitive intelligence, the more valuable your program is actually going to be. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with, with everything you just said there, Tamara. There's there's so much around uh, in product marketing, this idea of establishing credibility, especially when you're new to an org and you're the first product marketing marketer, is how do you establish credibility? And in the context of CI and competitive enablement. I think you listed some really, really tangible and actionable um, opportunities for product marketers to establish that credibility with the sales team, right? You talked about pulling the CRM and, and looking at the data, right? Data is is not subjective, right? I mean, the interpretation of it is, but the, the data speaks for itself. And if you can go into that conversation with sales and say, hey, I did all this legwork, I, I ran the numbers, and this is where we're winning and who we're winning against. And maybe if the sales team is taking those notes to, to detail why we're losing. And, and having that, instead of just like you said, going and saying, hey, I built five battle cards, look how pretty they are. It helps establish that credibility, I think. And you also talked about, you know, gathering that field intel and creating opportunities for the sales team to share it with you and one another in an easy way. And I think that also establishes credibility because it allows you to show that you understand and you're willing to work with them and, and make things easy for them, but also that you speak their language and you understand the terms that you're using and the conversations that they're having. And it just kind of helps embed you in there. And, you know, the more embedded you are, I think the more credibility you're able to establish. So, you know, I think you said it very, very eloquently and very detailed. I think if there's one takeaway from, from your answer that I would encourage product, uh, man product marketing managers to, to take out of that is, is focus on that credibility piece. Yeah. I think actually on the flip side of, you know, on what you shouldn't do is the worst thing you can do to your point is create five battle cards from information that you found right. that you think is the truth and fire those over the wall. That is never going to win you that credibility. Uh, right. As right as they may be, they don't come across as being valid to your sales team. And down the road, like as you establish that credibility, the information you find and distill will have more you know, veracity to the sales team. But as a starting point, you really need to start with what they know and build on that. You know, and, and to that point, like there's there's one other piece I talked earlier about the, you know, sort of what measuring success look like. And we have a number of ways that we help our clients actually, you know, measure the success of their program. But one that I think is really simple is, again, like at the point where you say, hey, starting to establish a program, do a little benchmarking survey. Like go out right. to your sales team and get a benchmark of, you know, how confident are you depositioning competitor X, right? And throw in your, your top key competitors 
get a little benchmark number for that. Go back to them six months later, 12 months later and ask the same thing, right? And that's the thing that you can take back to your boss and go, hey, I bumped this up 20%, you know, through the work that I've done and pulling together these materials. And it's a really simple way of saying, to your point, not just I answered 22 questions or I built five battle cards, but I, you know, I moved a metric and yes, it's a qualitative one. Uh, and it would be great if you could actually tie your efforts to win rates and revenue and actual stats, but you know, you get there over time. Right. Start with something really simple. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to just jump back to something that you mentioned uh, when we first started chatting. And, and this is, you know, this idea that, you know, in your role, you've been fortunate enough or maybe unfortunate, I guess, depending on the perspective to spoke to have spoken with hundreds of product marketers, you know, CI and marketing tech professionals. Can you share some insights on what you've observed in terms of what works well uh, and what should be avoided when it comes to competitive enablement? I know you mentioned just now, you know, don't regurgitate or sorry, um, you know, develop battle cards from your own insights, try and have sales collaborate. But aside from that, what are some of the other things that um, people in who own compete programs should maybe look to to do to um, to benefit the team or that they should avoid? Yeah. And I mean, to, to clarify, like our, so yes, we have a competitive intelligence platform uh, that we run at Clue and our focus has really been on enabling sales teams, right? And there's definitely, you know, other CI tools out there that are more focused on strategy use cases and sort of other parts of the org. So anything I throw out is, is mostly related to how you enable your sales folks, right? They're the closest to revenue. You're going to make the biggest impact there, right. et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so I think, you know, the biggest things are work with sales. Don't push your sales team. Um, and that's one of the challenges folks have, right? Like you need to be really tightly coupled with your, your sales folks, um, sharing what you're seeing and what you're hearing in the same places that sales already lives is core. You know, there's, there's no need to be creating some new repository on a drive somewhere that contains all your CI materials that nobody can find, uh, or firing up another tool that, you know, they have to remember to go to. It's like, help them help you by making it really easy for them to find what you're creating. Uh, staying away from TMI, right? Like there's this, this I, I see this um, tendency, particularly with folks that are more analyst focused, you know, like those people who are really great at deep analysis of what's going on. It's almost like, you know, writing a paper in university where you got to hit the 20 page mark, you know, before you yeah. can hand in your term, term paper. More is not better here, <laughs> right? Yeah. This is not a place where showing your work and showing that you did all of this, this great stuff is actually going to add value. It's, you know, you can do all that work and you should definitely do all the analysis and figure out what's happening and then scale it back. Less is more. And all your sales team needs is what's going to help them actually compete in the moment, right? They don't need the backstory. They don't need the history. You do for sure, uh, but they don't. Right. As long as you can kind of prove that what you are telling them is is gold and is truth, um, and then making everything you share actionable, right? How kind of to the same point? How do they use this in the you know in the throes of a deal? How is it actually going to move the needle for them? So it's really thinking about the the types of content you're actually creating and the things that you're you're firing across the team and how they're going to use that, right? Like how does this help me? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think you're you're 100 right on that, and I think as product marketers. We often feel as though we're the busiest people in the organization because we support so many teams. But I think if we take a step back and we say, you know, our sales team is just as busy as we are, you know, we might like to think or not might like to think, but we sometimes think, oh, well, they're just on the phones all day. They're sending emails, you know, they're they're selling, but what are they actually doing? And that's not a conception that, or um, a perception that I have, but I've heard other people have that perception. I just want to clarify for any of my sales friends yeah. listening that I work with. Um, but no, they're just as busy as we are, if not 
more busy because they're managing multiple deals and dealing with a lot of potential clients at any given time. And what I'm trying to say is, is in the same way that we as product marketers want to have the information that's going to help us, that's you know simple and easy to act on. We need to do the same for our partners and sales specifically. So I think you're 100% right. You know, don't uh, don't overcomplicate things. Don't try and be overly verbose. Just say what you need to say or give them the information that they are going to need to, like you said, close the deal. And that's all you should be focusing on. Anything beyond that is not going to get used. It's going to be ignored. And you have to do it in the easiest way possible because they are so busy. Any additional steps that are going to slow them down, they're just going to totally disengage as a product marketer would, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually to that point, so clarify, I do not mean dumb it down. Uh, right. And to your point about sales, I mean, my preconceived notions of sales teams, and I would say that's the one part of the organization I've never worked in, despite wearing many, many hats right. over, over time. I'm not a salesperson. And I didn't really have a great appreciation for what sales folks did uh, yeah. until this role. Because while I work with a lot of product marketers on what they're doing, our other user within Clue are sales folks. Right. And we spend a ton of time creating empathy for sales and understanding their needs and what they need to do. And man, those folks are wicked smart mm-hmm. and super motivated and super busy. And the volume of work that they do and the things that they're doing, which I could not do at all, <laughs> do not have a have a you know a leaning towards sales at all, is admirable. Right. And so it's not, you know, dumb it down because sales won't understand what you're saying right. or they need it to be really simple. Like that is not the message here. No. It is help them do their jobs, help them be super efficient by giving them just the nuggets they need because they can weave that into a story. Right. But they, they need your help with the facts. Yeah, absolutely. No, you, I, you said it perfectly there. I won't even try and improve upon that because <laughs> just you're, you're hundred percent right. They're smart people. So, you know, you don't have to dumb things down for them. You just give them the tools that are going to help them be as successful as possible. Awesome. So, uh, you know, my next question here is, um, and again, this is more product marketing oriented, is the responsibilities and areas of focus for product marketers, you know, it's quite broad uh, and competitive enablement and intelligence often falls, you know, within their set of responsibilities, of which there are many. Um, Do you think product marketing should own competitive enablement and intelligence? Or is it something that sales enablement should own if there is a sales enablement team? Should a dedicated um, CE person be hired to own it? Where do you feel that responsibility and ownership should lie? I think that where competitive intelligence or competitive enablement sits within your organization is actually less important than the actual skill sets of the mm. people doing the job. Mm. And I mean, that said, I've seen, um, I've seen CE as this like quarter of my job off the side of my desk for product marketers. I've seen it live in product or roll into marketing. I've seen it live closer to sales. And all of those things have kind of pros and cons. Right, because you're going to get kind of a different a different lens depending on where you sit. But I really, actually, truly think that having the right skill sets in the people that you task to do this job is more important than which team it lives in. And I see it as this really difficult combination of three things. Right, like we're asking for a person that's a bit of a unicorn. <laughs> they need analyst skills. You know, so we talked a little bit about that, like that deep analysis. And I see. Um, it just doesn't typically come from product marketers, but we get a lot of competitive intelligence analysts that we work with and they have a very different mindset, right? They come at it from a very different perspective. They're deep researchers and analysts and they come up with, you know, matrices and these Harvey ball uh, tables and things. And I'm like, oh my, um, you know, and, and detailed, detailed analysis of the competitors and it's fantastic, right? But it's a very deep analysis skill set. 
you know, and I think that's required if you're really going to get into the nuts and bolts in the deep competitive program. Uh, there's the product marketing skill set, which is really more about interpreting that data, distilling the message, figuring out how to position yourselves against your competitors. So it's like taking that deeper analysis and turning that into a message that's actually going to resonate with your sales team. And then there is actually a sales enablement portion to this. And so you can be great at positioning and you can be great at detailed analysis. But again, if you can't engage your sales team, if you can't broker that relationship between your two teams, you're not ultimately going to be successful. And I actually see that as being the toughest piece for most folks, right? Like unless they they come from a bit of an enablement um, mindset, that's not the first place they focus. And so you do end up in this camp and it's, you know, it's not that anybody's doing anything wrong, but it ends up feeling like the natural thing to do, which is creating these materials and kind of handing them over. Right. And that has not worked super well for most folks we've worked with. And it needs to be a much deeper relationship. So I wouldn't necessarily say that means that CI should live in sales enablement, right? Because then you're kind of ignoring those other two skill sets that are deeply important. But you either need to work closely with your sales enablement partners to shore up that skill set if it's not one that you have, or you need to kind of double down on that part of the, the role. I think that's such a fantastic perspective to take on it and real mind shift for, I think, a lot of people who are either building out those teams at the you know senior leadership or leadership level. And you're right. It's don't necessarily think of, oh, well, we're bringing on a product marketing manager or, you know, someone in sales enablement. So they should own, um, you know, competitive intel and competitive enablement. It should be, to your point, like, what are the skills of this individual that we're bringing on or that we have in-house already? And do those skills align with someone who's going to be effective at stewarding? And I think that's the approach you need to take here is who's going to steward competitive intelligence or enablement? Because, you know, I, I agree with you. I've seen it where, you know, someone owns it and they are the, you know, beginning and end of those two things and nothing outside of that is going to change their mind. And I think that's, you know, immensely going to be less successful and effective than having one person, again, maybe be the steward where they're ensuring that, you know, metrics are being hit or that milestones are being achieved, but it is a cross-functional team that's ultimately responsible for CI and CE, right? It's a shared, and I think you've identified those three functional areas that kind of build up the dream team, as it were. Uh, if you've got someone in product marketing, you've got one in sales enablement, or if a sales enablement function doesn't exist, at least someone in sales who can speak for the sales org. And then someone, whether it's in biz ops or anal analytics, that can really be that hard analysis piece. Um, if you can have all those three things on one team, I think you're, you're already on a, on a good positive step forward. And if you can find them all in one person, you're golden. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I mean, like, you did ask the question of, you know, is it a dedicated resource or is this, you know, part of product marketing? And that's really going to depend on the size of the organization. Right. You know, as we get into our larger customers, we've got 50, 60 people doing competitive enablement, right? And they're large, large teams in the, the smaller customers we work with. It is still, you know, a portion of somebody's role. And they're really like, right. help me. You know, yes. how, how do I scale this? How do I make my uh, this part of my job more effective? So it really will depend on where you're at. But if you are really, truly thinking about a competitive enablement program as a bigger and more important strategic initiative within your organization, which, of course, I think you should, uh, then it becomes a full-time gig very quickly. You know, somebody, to your point, needs to manage that program. And whether they're doing all the work or they're they're managing a team, somebody needs to shepherd that through. For sure. Awesome. So can you speak about how to scale the CEO program as your organization grows? How do you recommend our listeners create a snowball effect of competitive insights and enablement? And what is the right time to consider actually like purchasing a CI platform and partnering with a, a CI um, tool provider? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, this supposed to be my plug for, uh, you know, get your CI program now. But I, I do actually think there's 
there is a phase where it's actually too early for tools, right. right? Like where you can get going and you really need to actually prove the value of CI within your organization before it's time to try and implement something as big as a, you know, a software platform throughout the org. Like that's a big initiative. And if you're already struggling with this being a quarter of your job off the side of your desk, right. that's a whole other project for you. Right. And so I think there's some things that you should probably have in place before thinking about it. So um, you want to have lots of content being shared internally. So you've done that job of creating that culture of compete. There's a lot of questions coming inbound. Like people already are looking to you as the, you know, VCI uh, expert within the organization and you know that they're thinking about Compete. And so it's time to actually create a prog program and your PMM team just can't keep up with the demand, right? Like at the point where you're going, oh my goodness, <laughs> you know, it's another question and I just can't deal with this anymore. It, it's time to start thinking about how you operationalize that a little bit, right? And if, if none of those things are happening, then putting a tool in place is too early. Nobody's going to come to it. Nobody cares that you have this information. And so you kind of need to create some demand before you know, building out something more robust. So, and even you know, without a platform, there are some things that you can do to start operationalizing in your organization, right? Serving up some consistent communications. So something like a, a weekly competitive digest email or post or whatever that just keeps people up to date on what your competitors are doing. Um, battle cards just for those key competitors, right? Those ones that right. were the big threat to pipeline. Uh, and then your challenge quickly becomes, how do I keep these up to date? And that's where a tool can start to come into place. Um, and then, you know, just starting to think about efficiencies with how you're collecting data and where you're putting it, right? And starting to consolidate those things so that you're not constantly going out and doing the new fresh Google search every time you somebody asks you a question. Yeah, I, I think I think you're 100 right. Um, you know, it's it's not necessarily about going out and buying the the fancy new CI tool. Um, and you know, obviously the space is maturing, so there's a lot of you know strong marketing and advertising in that space. And all those CI tools are trying to obviously generate business. Clue wouldn't exist if there wasn't a, a need for it. Absolutely. But I think I think you're right. Like as product marketers or whoever's going to own that compete program, have to take a step back and understand where they are in that level of maturity, which is again, great um, to have the clue maturity model in place uh, to really have a, a way to um, understand where they are and, and ask yourself, like, is this the right time? And, you know, everybody likes to have the new shiny tool because it's fun to use and you can play around with it and you're spending some, your company's money. So it's not your money that you're spending. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, like just because you can purchase and partner doesn't necessarily mean it's the right time to. So I think that's fantastic advice um, for anyone who's again, looking to roll that program because you really need to understand is now the right time. Yeah. I need to understand that it is work. You know, there are right. tools out there that will absolutely promise you that they're going to save you all the time in the world and they have the auto magic button that's going to do it all for you. That doesn't exist, right? There's no tool that can say, here's what you need to say to win against this competitor. Like that's right. just not a thing, right? <laughs> so what we can do is help you become more efficient with the things that you're doing and give you that sort of centralized place to keep information. And we right. can enable your teams by making content available everywhere they work. And, you know, like there's lots of sort of efficiencies of, of scale there, but if you don't have the great need for a more robust program yet, it's just going to become more work right. more than doing nothing, right? right? So yeah, there is definitely a tipping point there. Absolutely. All right, well, here's my last question. And, you know, typically I like to ask guests what advice they have for listeners looking to get in product marketing. Um, but since you don't come from a product marketing background yourself, you know, instead of getting started in product marketing per se, 
I'll ask you for advice on how product marketers can start their own competitive enablement program. And I know you've touched on this a lot throughout our conversation, which is great, but if perhaps you could maybe just summarize a couple of the key key um, places that they could start, that would be fantastic. Yeah, well, I think um, even before how you get started in your competitive enablement program, I suggest that like everyone listening should take a moment and think about what they've actually done the past couple of quarters or the past year that was related to competitive. And chances are everyone here has already started their own competitive enablement. Right. They just didn't realize it, right? Right. You're doing this work, whether you want to be doing it or not, it's happening. So now is a great time to actually take a few minutes, sit down and think about what you can do to set yourself up for success down the road, right? If this is already happening, then how are you going to make sure that you're ready to grow? Because if you're in a growing work, and many of us are, the the need for great competitive content will never be less than it is now, right? right? It's only going to grow over time. So, you know, think about what part of your role is CI now, how that's going to kind of morph over time. And then back to sort of those, those measures of success, what can you do now? that will help you when you look back six months from now or a year from now, realize you're doing way more CI than you were now, um, but have a way of actually measuring the impact of those those efforts, right? So whether you're putting a tool in place or not, or building a more robust program, you know, do that benchmarking survey or look at your win rates against those competitors. Like think about what that measure is going to be for you in terms of success and, and do it now so that you're not looking back a year from now and going, geez, I wish we'd done something. <laughs> you know, I wish we had a way of seeing what our impact has been. You know, and I think that's actually the most important thing that you can do. Absolutely. Well, you know, this has been fantastic, Tamara. Someone speaking personally who finds themselves in a situation that you've kind of described throughout the conversation here as taking a um, competitive intelligence kind of program that that already exists to some extent, but also, but actually tr- like trying to move the needle and evolve it into a full-fledged competitive enablement program that's gonna you know, be measurable um, and actually drive positive impact. For someone like me who finds themselves in this situation, this conversation has been incredibly helpful. So I'm gonna listen back to this episode and take notes because um, the conversation got so good, I wasn't able to as you were speaking here, but um, I think this has been a great conversation. So I really appreciate your time and coming on the show today and sharing your insights um, about this space. Um, and helping other product marketing managers or really anyone who owns or contributes to uh, their compete program um, to, to, you know, to move forward and to make improvements throughout. Awesome. Well, I hope it's been helpful to everyone else. That's been a lot. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. So um, like I said, thank you so much for your time today. Um, But if any of our listeners want to connect with you, is there a way that they can get in touch? Oh, that's top secret. No. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Reach out to me on LinkedIn. Awesome. Yeah, great. So much uh, great insight in this episode today. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to Tamara on LinkedIn, as she said. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I look forward to uh, to hearing the feedback on this episode and to hopefully connecting with you again soon. All right. Awesome to talk to you, Mark. For everyone still tuned in, thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please help us spread the word to other product marketers. Before we leave you to get on with your day, if you want to get involved, here are a few ways you can. If you're a product marketer and you want to come on the show and speak about your day, a specific topic, or your role in general, that's one option. If you want to flex your podcast hosting skills, being a guest host is another. And finally, if you or your company want to sponsor an episode, there's a third. Thanks again and have a great morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are.